Hello again, listeners. Welcome to our podcast, Forgotten Events. I'm your host, Katie. And today, my sidekick is back. So glad you're taking this journey with me, Jennifer. Well, I'm glad to be along for the ride. It's always a pleasure. Yay. Well, listeners, the story we have for you today will leave you questioning how something like this could go unsolved for over six decades. It's a heart-wrenching story. In 1951, a 10-year-old girl would disappear only a few blocks from her home after visiting a nearby park. She has never been found, and her disappearance remains unsolved. This is the story of 10-year-old Beverly Rose Potts. Beverly, preparing to enter the fifth grade, was described by many as a shy, responsible child fascinated by the performing arts. She lived with her parents, Robert and Elizabeth Potts, and Anita, her 22-year-old sister. On August 24, 1951, she and her friend Patsy Swing were given permission to see the show wagon, a summer children's performance event, being held that evening at nearby Holleran Park. This park is less than a quarter of a mile from the girls' homes. Because the park was considered unsafe after dark, the girls would normally not be there during the evening hours alone. And to set the stage, it was known to be frequented by local vagrants. Oh my goodness. I can't even imagine the guilt the parents felt knowing that, <sighs> you know, they made this, this exception this one time thinking that, you know, their daughter's so shy and responsible and, you know, she truly was, it sounds like. And then, you know, the one time that that happens, that, that something horrible happens. It's just, I know. It's breaking. I know. Right. Around 7 PM, still daylight, the girls decided to ride their bikes to the park. However, About an hour later, the girls returned home with their bikes, deciding it would be easier to get around the crowds on foot. They were both back at the park by 8.30. But around 8.45, Patsy, who promised to be home before dark, suggested they head out. Beverly, however, said that her parents gave her permission to stay for the entire show. Now, to put this in context, I know people's knee-jerk reaction is going to be to point the finger at the parents and going, you know, she shouldn't have been out this late. But, you know, this was the time, this is the time when my dad grew up in. And, you know, they would they would stay out late. They would ride bikes. They would not, they wouldn't be at home, period, until it was, you know, bedtime. So, yep. you know, this isn't necessarily an abnormal occurrence. And, you know, obviously the parents didn't think any would happen, anything would happen. And it's, yeah. it's sad. Yeah. Well, the show would not end until after nine o'clock. So Patsy said goodbye to her friend and headed back home alone. This would be the last time Patsy saw Beverly. At about 9.30, when the show ended and everyone was leaving the park, a young boy who knew Beverly saw her heading across the park in a northeasterly direction, roughly 150 yards from the corner of Linnet Avenue and West 117th Street. Beverly lived at 11304 Linnet Avenue. This was Beverly's quickest route home, just a few minutes walk away. 
several other witnesses said they had seen a girl resembling Beverly near a not-so-well-conditioned 1937 black Dodge Coupe sitting idle on West 117th Street. Apparently, this girl was speaking to two young men inside. Witnesses placed this sighting anywhere between 8.30, 9.30, but no one ever saw the girl get into the car. It was around 10 p.m. that evening when her family began to worry. They started searching for Beverly on their own. After a brief search, the family called the police. The police were unable to find any trace of Beverly after doing their own search. Their search would include canvassing of nearby neighborhoods, searching vacant lots, and even using a plane to survey open railway cars. Police received and investigated thousands of tips, which had been brought on by the press coverage of Beverly's disappearance, but nothing would come from those leads. And police cleared Beverly's family members almost immediately. I mean, it was determined that she had a stable and happy home life. There would be no reason for Beverly to have run away. Not to mention, Beverly had an unusual shyness about her, especially around males, and she was super cautious of strangers. It just doesn't add up, does it? I mean, seemingly a young woman that's so self-aware and mature to just, you know, hop in somebody's car or something. Yeah. Yeah. Don't really get it. No, me either. So to think that she would have willingly left with a stranger just doesn't make sense. So police theorized that most likely she'd been enticed into a nearby house or possibly a car on her way home from the park. They also theorized that perhaps it was someone that she knew from the neighborhood. Well, that would make a little bit more sense. You know, you always hear about that trope of stranger danger and you think of the Mm -hmm. weird guy in the van trying to pick you up and offering you candy, but it's usually someone the family knows and someone that the child knows. And, you know, nobody warns you about the strange guy down the street or the nice guy down the street even. Well, yeah. And, And despite her age, Beverly was known to regularly babysit all the neighborhood children. She was known for running errands for those neighbors. This gets me because it's just naturally you'd worry about any kid that goes missing, of course, that goes without saying, but one that was so responsible, uh, it would just add another layer of anxiety because in the back of your mind, you know, hey, this kid isn't just going to run off with some strange person or run off down the street without calling or not let you know what's going on. In the back of your mind, you have to know that something bad's probably happened and that's a really scary thought. Agree. Well, in 1973, they did another search of the neighborhood because police believed that she may have been buried in a basement at what was then a body shop. However, no signs of Beverly were found there or elsewhere, and no local suspect has ever been identified. Not long after Beverly's disappearance, a $1,500 reward was offered by her father's union, the AFL Stagehands, and this was for any clues to her whereabouts. 
Oh, that speaks really highly of the community and the fathers, yeah. co-workers and what have you. Yeah. Uh, you have to remember, even that didn't sound like a whole lot right now um, mm-hmm. for just given the time period adjusted for inflation, just so our listeners don't have to do the math I did. Uh, <laughs> it's the equivalent of about $15,000 today. So that's a yeah. chunk of change. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, over the years, Jennifer, suspects would come and suspects would go, but no one was ever linked to Beverly's disappearance. In 1955, Harvey Rush, a drifter and Cleveland native, would tell police in California that he was the one that killed Beverly Potts. Unfortunately, he claimed to have killed her in 1952, an entire year after her disappearance. He would later be extradited back to Cleveland, where he would recant his entire story, saying that he only wanted a way back to his hometown. Now, two retired Cleveland police detectives, James First and Robert Shanklin, sometime in 1980, revealed that in 1974, they had received a tip from an attorney with a client whose brother had supposedly confessed to abducting Beverly. The detectives would eventually find and question the brother who had admitted to having lived near Holleran Park in 1951 and had a habit of picking up and molesting young girls in that area. Although the man did not remember abducting Beverly in particular, he did say he had flashes of memory involving a girl with that name. So the detectives were convinced this guy was guilty beyond any doubt. The county prosecutor's office, unfortunately, did not feel the same conviction and refused to pursue the case, citing a lack of evidence. Oh, wow. It kills me how he confessed to other crimes. They were, I'm going to say equally heinous, but they were definitely heinous in themselves, uh, just not that particular one. And I just wonder why they couldn't have brought him in. Once they've got him behind bars, it seems like something would have shook out. But, you know, I don't understand the subtle nuances of, you know, the judicial system and how that all works. And I know that it's hard getting a conviction, much less, you know, one to stick. But I would just part of me wants to see that guy behind bars and wishes they could have got more out of him. Yeah, I agree. Well, in 1988, William Redmond, an Ohio native and former carnival worker, was indicted for the 1951 Pennsylvania murder of eight-year-old Jane Marie Althoff. While in prison for that crime, Redmond reportedly told his cellmate that he had killed three other young girls. Questioned about the Beverly Potts case, Redmond refused to talk. He was in the general area of Holleran Park at the time of Beverly's disappearance and he did have a record of child molestation convictions dating all the way back to 1935. However, this would have made Beverly considerably older than his previous victims, so he wasn't believed. Then in 1994, a letter was discovered under a carpet in a Cleveland house written by a woman who claimed to have caught her husband disposing of Beverly's body in their furnace. 
Upon being questioned by police, the allegation proved to be false. The woman had written the letter as a revenge fantasy against her then abusive husband. Oh, wow. Yeah. Letters were also sent to a reporter, Brent Larkin, of the Cleveland Plain Dealer beginning in 2000, purporting to be from a not-so-well elderly man who claimed that he wanted to confess to molesting and murdering Beverly before his imminent death. The anonymous author said that he would turn himself in on August 24th, 2001, on the 50th anniversary of Beverly's disappearance. But he would later write another letter to say he had to enter a nursing home and would be unable to honor his promise or otherwise reveal himself. A thorough investigation failed to turn up any clues as to who authored the letters. The reporter involved now believes the letters to have been a hoax. Okay, I just can't understand how someone could want attention that much to the point of fabricating that kind of story or claiming that kind of heinous act, especially if they didn't do it. And it seems like in this chain of events, a lot of people have. Uh, I get that, you know, people want attention and whatnot, but given the number of dead ends that we've already seen in this story, it's just heartbreaking to find yet another one. I know, right? Well... Breaking this case after more than six decades, not an easy task. In August 2015, get this, Jennifer, Cleveland authorities and the FBI believed they had a break in the case. A telephone call from an unknown person provided pieces of information about a possible suspect in Beverly's disappearance. What? How does that even happen 60 some odd years later? Yeah, right? We need more information. We need more information. That is exactly what the authorities said. They now need this person who called the Cleveland Crime Stoppers anonymous tip line to please call them back. Police investigated the information provided by the caller and found it to be accurate, but they really need more. This never-ending mystery of Beverly's random disappearance and the investigation that followed quickly captured the imagination of the press and the entire city and became notorious, especially with parents fearful for their own children's safety. It has become one of Cleveland's most well-known missing persons cases. And sadly, Beverly's mother, Elizabeth, died in 1956, her demise reportedly hastened by heartbreak over her daughter's disappearance. Her father would pass in 1970. Beverly's only sibling, Anita, continued to search for her until her own death in 2006. A memorial marker to Beverly sits at the graves of her parents. Jennifer, I could start crying. It's heartbreaking. It really is. It is. So I leave our listeners with this. Anyone with tips on this case should call 216-252-7463 or leave any information on the Crime Stoppers Identity Protected website, which is 25crime.com. That's two five crime 
www.cleveland-police.com, or you can contact the Cleveland Police Department's Homicide Unit, Sheriff's Office, or the Cleveland FBI. Jen, they have increased the standard Crime Stoppers reward to 15000 from the standard 2500 That's a serious increase. So, listeners, let's help close this case for young Beverly. 